Blog Talk Radio. Round one. Fight, 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 fight. Welcome to The Balance. You have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world. And also welcome to our affiliate radio stations. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Been a long weekend. Hope everybody had a great turkey day. I actually had a pretty laid back turkey day. A friend of mine came over and we just like, we just made lasagna. So we watched the football. Uh, Minnesota game was kind of uh, worthwhile watching. I wasn't that excited about the rest of the games. Of course, we'll get into that uh, later on in the show. Welcome to two hours of the best sports talk you can handle. 917-889-8516. Standing by and joining us here in just a moment is Matthew Embry uh, from popularopenwheel.com, uh, our official IndyCar contributor. We'll talk a little bit about what's happening uh, in some of the breaking news with IndyCar. Uh, and then we'll kind of get into a little uh, Formula One talk and, of course, talk a little Notre Dame football with him as well. Uh, and then at the in the next half hour, uh, we're going to recap NASCAR 2017. Steve Wilson Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. We're going to break down all the uh, the ins and outs of the 2017 NASCAR season. And then at the top of the hour, Ed Kratz, Rick Riggin, all join us and we start our NFL uh, talk. Uh, Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor. Rick Riggin gives us a call from down in Evansville, our official NCAA football contributor. We're going to be talking about the, the bowl gates. We're going to be talking some more Notre Dame uh, and the coaching carousel. And then at the last part of the show, Mo for the BS Sports Show joins us. And, well, we just sit around and BS about sports. He talks with us a little bit about who to bet on, who not to bet on, and all of that. So I'll tell you what, if you blink, you've missed a lot, a lot here on The Balance. My name is Tom Mark Lassell, Presidente. Myself and Matthew Embry will be right back right here on The Balance Radio Network. told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous pork chop down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Martin with El Presidente. Uh, joining us now is Matt, can you hear us? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, it sounds like we got a lot of static on your line. Uh, I'll tell you what, why don't we, because it is pretty bad, why don't we have you uh, hang up and just call us right back. Uh, we'll get that, that technical issue uh, resolved with Matt here uh, momentarily here. Uh, I know that his... Um, Phone is uh, appears uh, pretty staticky today, uh, so we'll try to get him to uh, call us right back here. I apologize for that, and we'll get into the conversation uh, about uh, some IndyCar, what's going on with IndyCar. Certainly uh, some breaking news. Last week we talked about it uh, significantly, but we, we certainly want to get uh, some more input on it from Matthew Embry when he uh, calls us back. Uh, so hopefully we'll get him back on the line here. But we talked about Danica Patrick. Um, Running uh, the Daytona 500 and the Indianapolis 500, we talked about it with with Matthew Embry. I mean, I'm sorry, with uh, with, with I'm sorry, with Tyson from OnPitRoad.com, and uh, we're trying to we're efforting, as they say, to get uh, Matthew on the line here, and we wanted to certainly talk in more detail, certainly about an article that he wrote on uh, PopularOpenWheel.com uh, uh, about Danica, and you know, it basically says. 
hey, uh, you know, don't look for any, uh, don't expect any heroics from Dan- Danica next May. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk with that. We're still trying to get him back on the line here. Uh, so hopefully uh, we can we can get him on here <laughs> momentarily. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight five one six is our digits. Well, you know, certainly one of the things that we we'll, we'll wanted to talk about was Danica and IndyCar and what happened in, in NASCAR. Certainly in the next half hour, we'll be talking a lot about NASCAR, what happened in the 2017 season. And uh, so we're, we're still trying to get – I apologize. For, I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm not allowed to do that. <laughs> uh I'll tell you what, we'll take another unplanned, unexpected break as we try to get Matthew back on the line here, and uh, hopefully we can get him on. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network. back here all right buddy we got you now we got you that's okay it's all it's all part of uh doing live Fortunately, radio. i, I can't you. run my internet and the phone on the same line that's the problem <laughs> oh i got you oh got you well we'll try to we'll try to not, uh, make it uh easy on you so you don't need your internet you know one of the things that we want, definitely wanted to talk with you about was certainly the news that broke last week we talked about a little bit with tyson from onpitroad.com and that's Danica Patrick returning to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It was both breaking news for NASCAR and IndyCar. And I know that you wrote an article there uh, with uh, popularopenwheel.com. Uh, basically, uh, you titled the article, Don't Expect Heroics from Danica Next May. Certainly, we want people to go uh, to popularonwheel.com and check out that article that you put up there on the 21st. Uh, but talk with us a little bit about your thoughts about Danica and her her uh, farewell uh, tour, if you will. Two really big races. Uh, obviously, not the official double, but she's doing two really big races in both IndyCar and NASCAR. Two really big races, but with low training and low and low preparation. That is not the recipe, Tom, for a driver that is a serious victory contender. Uh, She's not going to get the training in an IndyCar like, say, Fernando Alonso did this past year. She is not going to be getting the testing like she did as a full-timer in NASCAR for the Daytona 500. So based on that, you cannot fully expect her to be a serious victory contender. Uh, it, It doesn't matter if she gets the Gadassi ride or not. Uh, it's just the fact is you just cannot focus in on one race. I mean, yes, we've seen Townsend Bell be competitive in the past, but he hasn't won. So I think it's very premature to say that she is a contender for victory in next year's Indianapolis 500. But it won't be for Roger Penske. Uh, So talk with us a little bit about who she'll be driving for and the team that she'll have next May here in Indianapolis. 
Well, the likeliest scenario is Gadassi because Pesky has already said that's part of the reason why Pablo Montoya is a free agent for the Indy 500 right now is because he's only willing to enter four cars, three first full-time runners, and then a fourth Raleigh Castro Davis. So uh, that's why Pablo Montoya, they talk about second big name. That's probably the second big name that's going to crop up somewhere um, elsewhere because Pesky doesn't have a spot for him as far as an Indy 500 ride. Uh, Gadassi is the best option, obviously, running only two cars full-time. They have the equipment available still to run a third Indy ride. Gadassi has said, quote, that he liked the idea and talks with her last week. Uh, so if you go by that scenario, uh, if there is a potential ride out there that makes sense, that's about the only one because after that, uh, there's the Smith-Peterson ride that's possibly still in play and maybe uh, – extra see some of these smaller teams, but if you're looking for a competitive ride, that's probably the best option that's left out there at this point. Well, speaking of Penske, obviously we know he uh, inked an extension uh, for Simon Patajon and sponsor with the DXC Technology. Talk with us a little bit about the continuing uh, relationship between uh, Penske and Simon Patajon. No surprise there. Uh, Pagano's obviously had the championship. He's won the IndyCar Grand Prix. He's been Decently competitive at the Indianapolis 500, obviously not to his standards for a man that's desperate to win that race. Uh, but ultimately, I think right now, it's just keeping team continuity. That's what's made Petsky successful is the strong people from his team. I mean, even the top mechanics uh, that have been there for years, they are still with the team. I mean, and I think even though Rick Reinemann's no longer on the pit crew, uh, he's still been an advisor there for eight years. This is a guy that's been with the team since I think the early 80s late 70s and they have a lot of those members still on the squad that's why they're good they keep the continuity they keep the strong members of the team and it's like uh, Roger Petsky said in the 70s the team is as good as its weakest link and I think right now they managed to keep all the strong links around and that's why they are so dominant it's not because they have the most money it's not because uh they have you know an exclusivity deal with chevrolet as some people claim they do it is because they are the most set up and most prepared team that is running in racing in general not just nascar and indycar but racing in general and i think you're going to see that uh, when we get to the, the st petersburg opener i think you're also going to see that when they make their debut in imsa at the rolex 24 daytona uh, there is a certain continuity and preparedness that this team has that no other team in racing possesses, at least not in the U.S. Well, certainly a very exciting team to race for, so we'll keep our eyes on that. Let's uh, move on over to Formula One. We want to get all this covered. Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, uh, Valeri Botez, uh, Daniel Ricciardo, and uh, Kimi Rakonnen, and I butcher these names all the time. I don't even know why I try. But yep, certainly that, that rounds is off the top Mr. Five Lewis in Hamilton. You've got Sebastian Vettel, who actually, believe it or not, the last time that the Indy Five or the Indianapolis Grand Prix. Uh, was at the Indianapolis Sports Speedway. I was present for his debut in which he made the points. Uh, then you've all, and of course, Lewis Hamilton won that race. Then, of course, you got Valtteri Bottas, Kimi Raikkonen, the former world champion, in the mix. And then, obviously, you have a few other players like, of course, the Australian. Even though his name looks Italian, it's Daniel Ricciardo. 
So uh, talk with us a little bit about the uh, the finale, the, the season wrap-up, if you will, about Formula One. Obviously, that was the standings as of the uh, Brazilian Grand Prix. Uh, but talk with us what's coming up next for Formula One. Well, basically, it's just a one-off shot right now with uh, the Dubai Grand Prix at Yas Marina. Uh, Mercedes has already claimed this Constructors' Championship. Lewis Hamilton secured another world championship uh, in Brazil. So there's not much to play for other than the race win. Obviously, you know, Ferrari wants to have some momentum coming into next year with uh, Vettel and Raikkonen in the fold. Obviously, Mercedes would like to do that, and then there's a few other of these smaller teams. Uh, and it's hard to call a team like McLaren and a Williams small after, you know, they've won multiple world championships. But that's the current uh, ball game right now. But, uh, yeah, a lot of teams trying to boost momentum right now. Uh, especially in the mid to the back of the grid, uh, teams that uh, I think, for instance, you talk about Sauber that's low on funds, uh, questions whether or not they're going to return next year. Uh, and then obviously you have a McLaren that's had major losses in money over the past year with their problems with Honda. And then you also have the sister team of Red Bull, Toro Rosso. Be very curious to see if they have success with Honda where McLaren was unable to have success with Honda because they pick up the Honda engines uh, for 2018. And absolutely, and it, you know certainly that that played a role in uh, Fernando Alonso's uh, decision as well to to uh, to stay with uh, uh, Formula One and not race uh, over in Indy in, in the IndyCar series. So we'll see how all of that pans out. Well, let's talk a little bit about your Notre Dame Fighting Irish last week. Uh, certainly got a win against Navy, a much better team, I suppose, than what we saw the week before against Miami. Uh, today they they go against Stanford. I don't look for a big challenge for them against Stanford, but unfortunately, uh, Notre Dame uh, sometimes has a tendency uh, to go to sleep on uh, weaker teams. Uh, sometimes they don't play their best against not-so-good teams. What are your thoughts about Notre Dame and Stanford today? Well, first things first, look what Miami did yesterday against Pitt. That was a horrendous performance. It just makes that Notre Dame blow-up against Miami look that much worse. Uh, Miami has struggled against Virginia. They finally bit the dust against Pittsburgh, a team that they should have no business losing to. So probably that's probably not Miami out of the college football playoff race. The big question right now as you look to Stanford is, can Notre Dame's secondary stop their oversized wide receivers and tight ends? And the other thing is, is Bryce Love going to play? Uh, he's been battling a, a severe ankle injury over the last three weeks, yet the last two games he has gone for over 100 yards, literally carried this offense uh, to victory in big games against Washington and Oregon State. So ultimately, or excuse me, California in the big game. Yeah, no dramas uh, like 83 this time around. But ultimately, I think right now the question is, is can Stanford's passing and run attack be stopped? Because that's been the one thing that has hurt Notre Dame in this series when the games have gotten to Palo Alto is the secondary has had their issues in stopping that passing attack, which I, is not as strong as, say, when Kevin Hogan was the quarterback a couple years ago, but it is still very potent because you have these tall 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", receivers against the small defenders that Notre Dame possesses because they go for more of a speed strategy. Uh, it's going to be very questionable right now to whether or not Notre Dame has the tools on defense to stop the long ball and then obviously not over-focus on that so much where they're letting Bryce Love, again, if he plays, uh, have a field day because 
even though he's not 100% right now, Bryce Love is still a very dangerous running back, and he is a home run hitter for the Cardinal. Uh, offensively, though, I think the question right now is, can Brandon Wibbush uh, find the confidence to throw the football? Uh, they keep trying to, at least Brian Kelly is trying to find ways to get his him confidence in throwing the ball. And you saw it the first possession against Davey. He throws three passes. He threw them all at complete, and they had to go three it out. And against a team like Davey, you can't. You got to score on every drive because the last two years now, Notre Dame Tom has only had 13 offensive possessions against Davy. That's not a lot of opportunity to score points. So every time you get the ball against a team like that, especially with the triple option, and Georgia's going to find that out against Georgia Tech uh, tonight in uh, clean old-fashioned hate, you've got to score, and you've got to score a lot because the chances you get are extremely limited because of a time-killing possession with the triple option. But looking ahead to tonight, I think Notre Dame really needs a signature win on their list right now because I think the USC, with the way they've struggled, that win does not look as good. And North Carolina State has caught on hard times as well, so that dominant win doesn't look as good. They really need a good result here to provide some confidence, especially if they're going to get into a big six bowl game like the Cotton Bowl in Arlington, Texas, which uh, the rumors are saying right now is their most likely destination uh, if they beat Stanford coming up uh, tonight. Well, certainly Brandon Wimbush uh, needs to do better prep for Stanford, and uh, certainly this is uh, closing in on his last opportunities uh, to really show what he's made of. What does Brandon Wimbush got to do to to be better prepared for Stanford? I still wonder whether or not that hand injury he suffered against North Carolina State is bothering him. Uh, He's no longer showing uh, confidence running the football like he did in the first part of the season. I think it's worried because he can't clutch the football to the point where he could consider the ball or secure the ball to the point where he could get the ball ripped away from him. Uh, and I hate saying that, but you got to have ball security because these teams, I mean, the Miami with their turnover chain, et cetera, and Stanford, these teams will hunt the ball. So that's a questionable situation with Wimbush, uh, and he's got to get something done. He's got the tools – uh, in the receiving core, I mean, yes, unfortunately, no equanimity St. Brown this week because of a concussion, but you still got uh, a very good tight end at Dirt Spife. Uh, you have a very good wide receiver core led by probably now Chase Claypool. Uh, you've got other options. Uh, you talk about Wimbush. I think the other guy's got to get back and forth right now is Josh Adams. I think that 33 trucking they did got into his head a little bit. He hasn't showed the same kind of confidence running the football that he did at the start of the season. Uh, I think his performance has got to improve uh, starting tonight if they have to have a chance, especially not against just only against Stanford, but in the bowl game coming up, in, whether it's January or late December. And then the offensive line. I think you've seen solid play from McGlinchey and uh, Nelson, the two potential first-routers of the NFL draft coming up in April. But I think you need to see better stuff from Mustafer, Bars, uh, and the other side of that line because uh, that's where uh, Georgia gouged them for sacks and pressure on Wimbush and stopping Adams. And that's exactly where Miami did. And trust me, I think Stanford is going to try the same strategy in trying to stop them as going after the weak side of that offensive line. You know, going into the season, we, we, we could probably uh, have, have, had, have had the conversation that Brian Kelly was definitely on the hot seat. 
You think he's off the hot seat even though he had a, a miserable performance against Miami, finishes the season strong? Uh, is he on or off the hot seat no matter how uh, Notre Dame finishes the season? I don't think he's ever going to be on the hot, off the hot seat based on the fans from ND Nation who expect this team to be, you know, 9 to 10 wins every year, which i got to say is starting to become less realistic now because it's getting so much tougher as an independent uh, because they have to keep making their schedule so incredibly difficult uh, to be in consideration for Plow's playoff bursts. I mean, you see it across the board. I mean, we've seen uh, Butch Jones get fired. Uh, Kevin Sumlin lost his job. Uh, I don't know if you saw the information, but Arkansas fired Brett Bielema yesterday. Uh, So... It is a tough scenario right now with all these situations. They just make it so tough, and you have the fan bases and the boosters demanding so much success. It is a do-or-die situation now. Granted, will this help his cause a little bit? Yes, but he can't afford another you know, 6-6 six and six or sub-500 season. Otherwise, I think he is going to be done. So he is the gut, certainly. I wouldn't say it's up to his back, but it's getting close, and it's hovering around there if he has another – uh, wall to start uh, 2018, uh, certainly they're going to be question marks again. Well, you, you always wonder why Notre Dame chooses to be an independent team. I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It really They, they really are, by, by all intents and purposes, an ACC team because the rest of their uh, school is ACC and the, the, the teams they typically play are uh, what we would consider an ACC-type schedule. Why is it so important for them to be it's an tradition. independent team? That's the thing they wanted to stick to. The problem is today's millennial athlete looks at it as they've got nothing to play for if they start losing. Because, unfortunately, to most fans, the only thing out there for Notre Dame as an independent is to try to win a national championship. And once that goes, you wonder, does the desire to go full out for this team kind of go by the wayside? Uh, thankfully, it didn't happen against Navy. I think Stanford to this tonight will be a teller whether or not this team feels like they still have something to play for or not. But, uh, yeah, I think that's one thing right now. Uh, once they start losing games, even if it's a couple, ultimately they feel like they got nothing to play for. That's what the fans think as well. But uh, uh, it's going to take a lot of the traditionalists to uh, have a change of heart before they join a conference at this point uh, as far as football-wise. Uh, they got a good deal with the ACC right now, allowing it for the bowl opportunity. So unless, you know, the situations get tougher and the demands get higher against them uh, as far as joining a conference or these kind of situations, uh, I don't think they're going to be staying out of the independent range for a lot, the foreseeable, any time or changing a conference in the foreseeable future unless they absolutely have no choice to do it. What bowl does uh, Notre Dame end up in? If they win tonight, I would say the Cotton, where there is an at-large opportunity, is probably their best destination. Now, it's hard to believe that that's the last major bowl game they wanted. That was all the way back in 1994 where they beat Texas A&M. They have not won a bowl game of that caliber since. So I'd love to see them get another chance. Obviously, it'll be against one of the tougher Big 12 schools, possibly at Oklahoma, for instance. If they don't get into the top four, they have a slip. Uh, Oklahoma State could be a possibility of that game as well. Uh, so that would be a matchup that would be a very interesting game. It would be very curious to see how a pass-happy offense 
uh, you know, wide open offense like at Oklahoma State or maybe a Texas Tech would fare against this Notre Dame defense if Notre Dame would have an idea to stop it because based on the, the things, I mean, Notre Dame's capable of scoring, but I don't think they know if they're capable of scoring, uh, you know, 40, 50 points to win a game like uh, a Big 12 team is capable of scoring. All right, we've been talking with Matthew Embry of uh, uh, popularonwheel.com, also uh, from uh, 96.1 FM up there in Notre Dame country in Mishawaka. Sir, what any uh, final thoughts and words of wisdom do you have for us, sir? I'll be curious to see right now as far as uh, this coaching carousel thing, uh, who else uh, starts losing jobs. There's also questionable situations at several other schools right now, uh, SEC and the Power Five as to what happens. And I'll also be curious to see what happens with Wisconsin and uh, Central Florida. I think a lot of people are starting to get on Central Florida's bandwagon that they deserve to be in a big six bowl game. And even if they win out and win the American Athletic Conference championship game, a lot of scenarios are having them where they will not even get to a big six bowl game. So it'll be very curious to see uh, what the committee does uh, with them, and obviously it'll be very interesting to see what they do with Wisconsin uh, if they go 13 and 0, despite a you know lenient schedule. If they do get the dod, and of course, obviously, be curious to see what happens with Miami this week after the loss to Pitt, because that was a very lackluster performance. I mean, they even benched Malik Wazir for one series in the fourth quarter when they were trailing the game yesterday. So. That clearly tells me that Miami uh, is in desperation mode with their offense. Their defense is still sound, but their offense, I think, needs to get it in gear if they're to beat a competitive opponent, uh, so, assuming they do get into the playoff. Matthew, we appreciate you joining us, sir. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Obviously, popularopenwheel.com, and then I've also got a few things on Twitter with the big events. Uh, Follow me at Matthew Embry, that's E-M-B-U-R-Y on Twitter.com. And uh, should be spitzy stuff happening uh, this weekend, uh, obviously, with Notre Dame. And, uh, and then, obviously, look at the NFL tomorrow. Uh, can New Orleans make it uh, nine wins in a row? We'll look forward to it. Matt, you have yourself a good weekend, and we'll talk with you soon. Anytime, Tom. Thanks. Matt Embry of uh, Popular On Wheel. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> of Popular openwheel.com I'll get it straight and uh, 96.1 FM up there in Mishawaka talk a little uh, IndyCar Danica Formula 1 and certainly uh, talk a little bit about Notre Dame football against Stanford we'll get into that more detail in that arena later on the show we'll be back we're going to recap NASCAR 2017 with Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest we'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network My doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim. Here. 
Introducing the new B-Dub Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my dog. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about All right, and welcome back to the Palace. My name is Tom Mark Lassell, President. Hey, 917-889-8516 is my digits. Thanks to uh, Matthew Embry from PopularOpenWheel.com uh, joining us, uh, talking with us a little bit about the IndyCar offseason, uh, certainly about the extension with Simon Patajan and Pinsky, and it's certainly about the big news that we're still talking about, and that's Danica Patrick uh, going to finish out her, her racing career at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, uh, certainly also after uh, racing the Daytona 500 uh, coming up in, in February. But joining us now, Steve Wilson of uh, Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, going to break down and give us the recaps of uh, and the of uh, the t- 2017 season. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Fantastic. Did you have a good turkey day? Yeah, for the most part. Um, not much went on, but... <laughs> 
Yeah. Hey, you know that's that's what that's what makes it a a a, a day of things, I guess. Well, certainly, you know, we we have some a lot of news to talk about in in the NASCAR arena, and one of the biggest uh, uh, stories we talked about this last week. It certainly was a a big story for IndyCar. It's also a big story for NASCAR. Denica Patrick uh, calling it quits, and certainly we uh, uh, have had our share of jokes about her uh, on this show, and she's an easy punching bag, I guess. But at the same time, you've got to give her credit. She's very very passionate about racing, and uh, certainly, even though she doesn't really have what we would call a winning career. Uh, she certainly has had an impactful career on this on the sport of NASCAR. What are your thoughts about the of uh, Danica Patrick hang, hanging it up? And her final NASCAR race will be at the Daytona 500 in 2018. Well, I do think that overall her career did show that if you can come into the sport. And you can definitely change the landscape of the sport, and she has changed the landscape of the sport over her five-plus years uh, in not only the Xfinity Series but in the Monster Energy Series. She did win the pole for the Daytona 500. Uh, you know, she did put the spotlight in the series where, you know, we now have more, uh, you know, drivers that are, you know, willing to put an effort into especially on the female side that are more are, are looking to come and join the sport and I think that it, that is just a direct impact from her and I don't think that if it wasn't for her that we wouldn't have some of this and sure I know that there's a lot of female drivers out there that were looking to break into the sport, that there were a lot of female drivers trying to uh, get out there at their local racetracks and use that and, you know, a lot of other different racing series. But I don't think if it wasn't for her that we wouldn't have a landscape or an environment today where the spotlight wouldn't allow them to necessarily be able to make those steps and series and sponsors and, you know, just a whole, you know, industry behind them like we do now. And I think that we have to, in some respect, attribute it to her and her willingness to go out there and put that spotlight on female drivers and that they can go out there and they can race just as well as any other um male driver that there is out there in the world and she has shown that she has shown that they can go out there they can be marketable just as any male driver they can go out there and race with any male driver um and i think that has just opened up just as many doors as uh you know anybody else has done in this sport and yes i know there's many other female drivers that have come along in this sport. You know, we, we've talked about Shauna Robinson. We've talked about Patty Mosby. We've talked about, you know, any other numerous drivers that have come along, but I don't think that, you know, and while they paved the way in some regards, none of them have, I feel have had the impact and opened the doors and really been able to create the, the environment that we have today that are going to allow many, many female drivers in the future to be able to now become 
and make their next steps into not only NASCAR but other sports or other motorsports in general. I mean, you look at NHRA, you look at USAC, you look at dirt racing, you can look at all kinds of motorsports in general, um, and you see more and more females now involved, not only just in racing or driving cars, but you see them as part of pit crews, you see them part of marketing, you see them part of many different aspects of the sport. And I think to some degree, like I said, I think that can be directly attributed to her. And I think that will be her legacy in this sport. Oh, I'm so sorry. Are you there, uh, Steve? I, I, I do it at least once a week. I forget to turn on my mic. So uh, I'll repeat what only the people inside this uh, room heard me say, and that was me. Uh, Tony Stewart, retired NASCAR uh, champion Tony Stewart, got engaged over the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, the three-time champion long swore off uh, marriage until now. I mean, I think a lot of people never thought he would get married. Uh, he's getting married to his uh, fiance uh, Penelope Penny uh, Jimenez, I believe is how you say the last name. They met in 2016. And, uh, you know, she's also a former uh, Playboy Playmate of the Month. Uh, so I guess uh, Tony Stewart uh, fared out okay on that. Thoughts? I think uh, <laughs> I think for many people, I think <laughs> it was kind of a shock. Uh, you know, that you know that Tony Stewart was uh, – uh, and I know a lot of people knew that he was uh, – you know, seeing somebody, I know that, you know, a lot of those things were, you know, uh, but I, I, you know, and, and the other thing is, is that he started to, uh, he's got in, he's got into, uh, bicycling. He's, uh, started to work out again. So, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like Dale, uh, Jr. getting married having a baby and uh it's it's kind of like a shock it's kind of like you uh it's like you see somebody you like you know their career and it's like huh i never suspected uh, somebody like that to settle down right and so it's it's always interesting as, as i guess it just goes to show that uh, as these drivers get older and they get out of racing they realize there's and there's other things in in life. Well, congratulations to Tony Stewart on getting engaged. Let's t- let's do a little recap on the 2017 season. Uh, obviously, Martin Truex uh, Jr. is your uh, 2017 NASCAR champ. Not really a big surprise there, but walk us through uh, the 2017 season and how we got to Martin Truex Jr. being our 2017 champion. <laughs> well, um, I. I think that's pre- pretty simple is, is that, you know, those guys over at Furniture Row Racing in the first year figured something out 
and especially Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern, figured really something out in the way that the stages and the stage wins and the stage points worked to their advantage. Uh, aside from uh, Kyle Busch, who won just a few more points than they did in the stages, um, it, it, those they they put they bought home seven wins across the season. They brought in just a ton of just stage points and stage wins over the year, especially on 1.5 mile tracks. That's where they just were dominant. You could take them to a 1.5 mile track, especially you know throughout the season, and they just kicked off the playoffs in Chicago. By winning that, they backed it up with a couple of other wins throughout the playoffs. They won Charlotte. They, you know, they just they just went to these 1.5 mile tracks, which is you know dominate the circuit today. And it was their you know bread and butter, and they figured out how you know they could. Uh, use it to their advantage over the year. Uh, you know, unfortunately for a lot of other drivers, and especially Jimmy Johnson, um, they that crew and that 48 team and uh, Chad Knauss, uh you know, we say this all the time. Every time that there's a change into this structure in the way that they crown a champion – uh, Jimmy Johnson, Chad Knauss, the 48 team, Kendrick, and everybody over there. Um, it seems like the first year or so, they they don't they're not on top of their game, but they take time and they have to figure it out. And um, you know, this year, you know, they weren't on top of it. They had a lot of problems this year, and you know, they they wrecked out of a couple races, and uh, you know. No wins. I mean, th- this was not a year that they were on top of their game at all. So I mean, it was, it was really just a direct effect of the of you know that forty eight team. I, I mean, sorry, the seventy eight team of figuring out the whole package together, um, and especially just you know where they needed to be dominant at, where you know where they went to a lot of these races and where. A lot of teams really just struggled at, um, you know, Toyota car this year to the track that the 2018 Camry and, you know, we we can discuss probably at length and at ad nauseum to the to probably a, a degree of how that was probably, you know. Uh, probably to a lot of people's opinion where it was probably more um, competitive than any other car. And I'm using that as probably a nice term uh, than any other car and any other, uh, you know, engine package that that was available out there because, you know, when those cars, you know, got together, especially on the JGR side, which seemed to be the most dominant cars over the last about three years or so, um, you know, nobody could touch them. And, you know, you know, Brad Keselowski, you know, obviously he said that, you know, after Homestead that he couldn't kind of believe that, you know, somebody would allow those cars to be on the track. And, you know, I 
think there's, you know, there's others that have said, you know, kind of the same thing throughout the year. And, you know, I, I, you know, when you start putting these things together, it starts adding up to the fact that, you know, that 78 team working with Joe Gibbs Racing, they've got Joe Gibbs Racing pit crews out there. Um, you know, Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern. Uh, they they just they just were they just were on top of their game all year long. They just didn't make as many they didn't make as many mistakes as other people did uh, or other teams mm-hmm. did. They they were able to get in there. They were able to get the points where they need to, especially like I said on these 1.5 mile tracks. Seven wins over the entire season, all the points that they needed um, to carry them through the the playoffs, especially the wins in each. Uh, segment and uh, you know when they just got to uh, Homestead um, you know it, it, it was just you know at the first little bit of the race I think they were just really just sizing them up but at the end of the day uh, you know when Martin Truex Jr. got out he he just he was gone but uh, you know that's how really how we got there is those guys they figure something out and they really figured something out over everybody else. Well, and you know the thing about it is Furniture Row Racing. And when you could, when you look at them compared to to the likes of Joe Gibbs Racing, Hendrick Motorsports, and Richard uh, uh, Children's uh, Racing uh, RCR, Furniture Row is uh, pretty much a baby team. And a lot of these teams, especially uh, uh, RCR, helped them out along the way. Uh, and so, in a lot of ways, you could say that Furniture Row Racing and Martin Truex Jr. Uh, one uh, with the help of the very teams they were competing against. Well, yeah, I mean, they have. Uh, you know, coming into the, really this season, they had only had one win, and that was a win in the Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway going all the way back to, um, you know, 2011. So, I mean, that that spanned a pretty good you know, uh, length of time. So they had, you know, been building themselves up over the years, working with these alliances. Uh, you know, they were Chevrolet at one time, as you said, with, with Rich Jones Racing, helping them out, build this team up. They made the they made the jump. They made the uh, alliance with Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, building the cars, building, putting the engines underneath the hoods, uh, they're, you know, putting their pit crews together for them, um, you know, and then they're, you know, they're, they're, they hire Martin Truex Jr. to go out there. And, you know, Martin Truex Jr. has had kind of a a career which has been very much up and down roller coaster. I mean, he, he started at, came into the sport with, uh, you know, DEI and, you know, worked with, uh, you know, over there with, uh, um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and then you know obviously we we know what happened year, a few years ago with uh, Michael Waltrip Racing and kind of the Spingate deal there at Richmond in the last playoff to uh, try and get one of the Michael Waltrip cars in and then uh, you know he he that closed down and now here he is over here at um, uh you know, over here at, um, you know, uh, sorry, Furniture Row Racing. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's um, been able to make the best of it. And he's been stacking these wins up, 
<clears throat> excuse me, stacking these wins up for him. They've been building this team slowly, methodically. And Barney Visser, who has owned this team and put this team together, uh, you know, this has been a year which they've become nearly fully funded. And next year in 2018, they will be fully funded with sponsorship, has been just putting his own company on the hood for these last <clears throat> about six or seven years, five or six, seven years, whatever it is. And now they're starting to get in becoming a powerhouse team where sponsors are starting to come to them. They're starting to put other people's names on the hood. They're starting to get income from other teams. And now Barney and that team is able to start recapitalizing money and putting it into some of their own resources. Um, you know, they, they work out of Denver, Colorado. They're way, away away from, you know, the rest of the NASCAR, um, you know, you know uh, teams in Charlotte. They have to bring everything there, you know, all the cars that are built from JGR, all the engines, you know, everything. And the, the crews, you know, uh, you know, fly out. Uh, you know, so all these kinds of things that work against them, you would think that, you know, over the years, um, you know, they've really built this thing up. And obviously now they're a championship team that uh, won the Monster Energy Cup this year. So I think, you know, the, you know, this can be just attributed to that, you know, slowly, methodically building a team, building a team in, in the aspect of, uh, you know, making the right alliances and uh yeah i mean he, he he that team has you know really done it in the aspect of with help of lots of other teams out there lots of you know partnerships lots of alliances and uh you know he, you know barney and furniture row racing went out there and and uh you know really did um beat every team and especially he even beat the team that supplied the cars and engines to him. So we, we saw a new – we're talking with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, starting to give us a recap of the 2017 uh, NASCAR season. We saw a new uh, playoff uh, picture, a new chase picture, if you will, this year. We saw uh, the, the stage races c- uh, come together this year. Did NASCAR get it right? Did the, the, did the top drivers, uh, top four drivers in NASCAR really the top four drivers in NASCAR? Um, <laughs> is that too hard of a question? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I know with Martin Drux Jr., I think they got it right with him. You know, um, I don't know so much about whether it was I, – I don't know. I think it's a hard question, really. You know, I think we could that question could go really either way in the aspect of uh uh you know, I think there was a lot of stronger drivers out there. I think there was some stronger drivers that could have probably been in the final four uh, going into Homestead. Uh I don't feel that in um you know, I don't feel that Brad Keselowski was a strong enough driver to be in that final four. I don't think that he did anything uh, or did that Final Four justice in any way because he really didn't do anything um, of any, you know, of of anything to be worthwhile of any note in that final race. 
Um, it seemed like he just rode around. And I know that that team struggled all weekend long, you know, from the time that they unloaded. Um, you know, Kevin Harvick led, Kyle Busch led, Martin Truex led, and won the race and the championship. Um, you know, and that's nothing against, you know, Brad Keselowski at all. Um I think that there may have been a stronger driver that could have potentially been put there, but you know, that that's the way it is every year. And, you know, just, just because, you know, maybe he struggled all weekend long, maybe that's just, you know, just the fact of, you know, he wasn't, you know, shouldn't have been there because I mean, he did win uh, two races this year and he did stack up a lot of um, stage points and, you know, that's not a discredit to him at all. Um, and, you know, you, you you go into these events and you go into to the way that the format is laid out, and it's just, you know, that the way that this is, the way that this is, and anything can happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, this could have happened at any point in the stage. I mean, we we had a lot of drivers that, um, you know, kind of get in by, you know, we we say sometimes by fluke. I mean, you look at uh, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., which won two races in the middle of the summer. I mean, he won the, the you know, the Coca-Cola 600 this year. Um, not the Coca-Cola 600, the Coke Zero 400 at Daytona this year. And they backed that back, uh, backed that up with the second win after that. Um, <clears throat> and he was able to make it into the first round of, you know, the playoffs. And, you know, while I think he's a good driver, uh, you know, it's one of those fluke things that, you know, we're going to have drivers into it that don't make an impact necessarily on the playoffs at all and you know there there's always going to be that that occurs no matter what because you know that that always happens i mean if you look back to 2016 um you had um chris busher that uh won a race a rain delayed race at pocono and he was able to make it in um obviously you know he wasn't a driver that was able to make an impact or you know, do, uh, of any type in 2016 either. So, you know, it, it's one of those questions of that. Is it necessarily, you know, uh, it, do, do we have the best every time? No, we don't always have the best every time, but there was, was there at least three good drivers out there battling at the end? Yes, I think there was three good drivers battling at the end. They all led the race. They all swapped for the lead. Uh, I think they they really put everything that they had into it, and, you know, eventually one of them not only won the race but, but the championship, and they put on a heck of a show at the end. And, you know, uh, and I think, it, you know, for Brad Kozlowski, for his effort, I think it was just – the team struggled all weekend long, and had they not struggled, and had they not had brake problems and other issues that just uh, just put them behind the game, I think that he would have probably been up there with the with the other three. We're, st- we're talking with Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, uh, we got to wrap it up and put a bowl on it, but real quickly, uh, one of the things that we'll notice different in 2018 is uh, the change in the over-the-wall crew going from six to five, and uh, the teams uh, will also, each roster member will be assigned a number and a letter based on its position and must be visible at all times throughout the weekend at the track, and those will be those rosters will be made public the weekend prior to the race. Uh, thoughts and reasoning on the change to that? Um, I have two thoughts on to it. One, I think it's a bad idea that we're reducing this down to five. 
uh, crew members across the wall. Uh, I know NASCAR said that it's because of safety reasons. We, they want less people across the wall. Uh, I think six, I mean, at one time we used to have seven. I think six is a perfect number. Uh, they're talking about potentially removing a tire changer, uh, which is now going to lead to teams only having one tire change across going across the wall. Um, I, I think that's, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that's a bad idea. As far as the numbers, letters, and things like that, um, you know, I go back to the way that the sport has always said for 70-plus years, we're not a stick-and-ball sport. We, we're not, you know, we, we don't play stick-and-ball games out here. So, you know, if you look at other stick-and-ball sports, yes, they put letters or numbers or whatever the case may be on their, on their players, and they know who they are out on the field. Um, I think this is starting, and we've continued to slowly become a stick-and-ball sport by doing some of these things. We've got a playoff now. We're starting to put letters and numbers on the players that are now we're going to consider them players on the field uh, with letters and numbers, and I think we're slowly starting to become stick-and-ball sport, and we're trying to be like a stick-and-ball sport. Um, and for 70-plus years, we've always said in, in auto racing, we're not a stick-and-ball sport, and I think that we um, – I, I, I don't see where it does anything. People from the stands really can't see the, 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 the crews anyways for the most part because they're usually too far away unless you're at some place like Martinsville. Um, so it really doesn't – it doesn't gain or maybe it's only for NASCAR themselves, but, you know, I think it starts to become we're getting too close to being a stick-and-ball sport. Um, so I, I, I personally, I don't think these changes are going to do anything, but I do like the fact that, you know, they are going to reduce now some of these road crew members because some of these teams are just bringing way too many people out there. And, uh, you know, we've got to look at a way to reduce some of these costs down. And some of these costs do come, unfortunately, in personnel because personnel is always going to be your most expensive cost in some of these factors. And, you know, we we know that some of these teams can bring dozens and dozens of people out there, and you know we've got, we've got to find ways to cut the cost because uh, you know it's uh, you know the the money in the sport is starting to become a number crunch some days mm-hmm. for these teams, and you know we've got to find ways to cut costs, and if we can do that by reducing personnel sometimes coming to the track, reducing the number of days going and staying at the track, hotels, things like that, uh, I think that will be overall good for the team. Well, unfortunately, that's going to have to wrap it up for us. Uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Uh, Steve, I hope you have a great offseason, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, we look forward to connecting with you again very soon, actually uh, closer to January or February. And, and certainly if anything breaking happens in the meantime, we'll, we'll, we will certainly uh, be in touch with you. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter. Facebook.com forward slash Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. I hope you have a good rest of your year, holidays, Christmas, New Year's, and see you in the new year as the Daytona 500 approaches. Yep, and we'll be we'll be right back at it again. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. Steve, uh, you have yourself a great weekend, sir. Thank you, you too. Bye. <laughs> 
Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, wraps it up for us. Uh, 2017. Congratulations to Martin Truex uh, Jr. on the 2017 NASCAR champion. We'll be back with Ed Kratz and Rick Riggin right here on the Balance Radio Network. Bobby, you're here again. Yeah, my doctor told me to reduce stress at work, so I come to Buffalo Wild Wings to eat lunch and watch sports. I get to pick one of seven entrees, like sandwiches and salads, plus one of seven sides. Well, I like sides. It's so affordable, I can finally take a vacation. Where are you going to go? Here, Tim, here. Introducing the new Beat Fast Break Lunch Menu, starting at a new low price. Dine-in or order takeout weekdays between 11 and 2. Participation and availability may vary. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, beer, sports. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Mark Marcel, President Jay. Uh, thanks to Matthew Embry uh, in our first half hour, talking with us uh, uh, some IndyCar and Formula One, uh, certainly continuing our conversation about Danica Patrick, uh, finishing her career uh, here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway next year, and also to uh, Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, uh, breaking it down and giving us a recap of the 2017 NASCAR season and what to look at going uh, forward into 2018 and talk with us a little bit about Furniture Row Racing and your champion Martin Truex Jr. But joining us now are two real champions Ed Kratz, our official NFL contributor, and Rick Riggin our uh, official uh, college football uh, contributor as well Uh, Ed, how are you, sir? Hey, great, sir. I'm coming off a good Thanksgiving (coughs) Hope yours was good, too And you, too, Rick Oh, it was was great. Rick, you there, buddy? Yeah, I'm here. Likewise, buddy. Hey, I think I was champion of the uh, Thanksgiving uh, pies a couple days ago. <laughs> champion of the Thanksgiving pies. You know what? Oreo, chocolate, over. pumpkin. I had all three. <laughs> Oreo, chocolate, pumpkin, all in one pie, or just three different slices of pie? Oh, three se- three separate slices. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how those. I don't know how those would mix into one. That might be a new gooey mess. Uh, but no, That's an idea, though. Thanksgiving. <laughs> 
<laughs> there you go. That's your task. That's your task, Rick. Uh, so, yeah, I was. I just had a friend over, and uh, we uh, just decided that we would make lasagna. I made my world-famous lasagna, but we did have pumpkin pie and football and beer. So it was a good overall Thanksgiving. Well, let's talk about some Thanksgiving uh, uh, football. You know, we, we'll get into uh, more of the uh, debate and conversation at some point about the ratings that we just seemed that they, they saw a 10% decrease in ratings uh, from last year, Thanksgiving time, prime time uh, to this year. There's a lot of things that we can equate to that, Ed. Uh, and, and I think kneeling is just part of that. Uh, I just think that the, that there's a lot of reasons uh, for the decline in the, in the uh, prime time viewership. People are cutting the cords. Uh, uh, there's other things going on in their lives. What do you think is the biggest reason, or one, why are we seeing such a rapid uh, loss of viewership or ratings in the NFL? A lot of people want to put the blame on the knee. That certainly may be the 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 something that everybody's focused on and talking about. But I don't think that's the main reason why people aren't watching the NFL. In your mind, what is the main reason? Like, for example, Thanksgiving primetime. Uh, last year, Thanksgiving primetime this year, down 10% this year from last year. Well, it could be, you know, part of it could be the product. You know, just the the, the, the product isn't as good this year. Uh, it's kind of been on a decline the last couple of years, I think. When when you look at the primetime game on Thanksgiving night, you had the Giants who were 2-8 uh, and eight coming into that game and a Washington Redskins team that was below 500. <laughs> um, so, you know, you could see that the, it could be the product. You know, the NFL is missing a lot of its stars. The Giants don't have Odell Beckham Jr. He's lost for the year. Uh, there have been some key injuries this year. And then, you know, maybe there's an oversaturation. It used to be Thanksgiving was two games. They didn't have that night game. Uh, that was something they added within the last few years. Uh, but, you know, now we have football pretty much all the time with the NFL. You have it Thursday night. You have it Sunday. You have it Sunday night. And then you have it Monday night. Uh, and, and a big uh, window to watch NFL football in the past has always been that one o'clock and that four thirty time frame, and now you're seeing, uh, you know, your premier games. A lot of them are being flexed out into a Sunday night window, which kind of leaves that one o'clock and even sometimes that four thirty game uh, a, a little bit. Uh, you know, it's not a, it's a lesser game in some instances when you flex the best game of the weekend out to a Sunday night. So. Uh, there just aren't too many best games out there anymore with the decline in products. So, you know, it could be all those things uh, that are conspiring to bring the ratings down a little bit. Well, you know, and I agree with you 100%. I mean, that, that Redskins-Giants game was just boring. A snoozeville. Uh, basically right. a puntville, if you will, for the most part. Uh, but I did enjoy watching the Vikings and the Lions. I'm sure that, uh, uh, Rick, you liked uh, your Lions uh, almost, almost come back for a win. Uh, certainly Case Kim what, did a, a, a good job, uh, but certainly the Lions uh, did a good job coming back in the second half. Uh, Ed, uh, talk with us a little bit about the Vikings and the Lions on Thursday. Yeah, that was a really, you know, that was a real good game. And that was the one that you kind of were looking forward to. And, of course, you know, the Cowboys game later, uh, you know, the Cowboys being the so-called America's team, you know, they're going to probably get an audience too, but they've hit hard times. So that Vikings-Lions game was the one that I was, you know, kind of looking forward to the most on Thanksgiving, and it was the early game. Um, But you wanted to see, you know, the the Lions on Thanksgiving are are typically tough to beat. Um, You know, the Vikings had to come in there on a short week and, 
<clears throat> they were able to kind of get out to a big lead uh, and, and then hold off the Lions from there. So, you know, that was kind of a fun game to watch, I think, from start to finish. And, you know, the Vikings just had a little bit too much defense. And, uh, you know, Stafford tried to bring them back. And it was a game the Lions, of course, really uh, really needed to win to kind of stay in the hunt for a wild card spot. And, uh, you know, as, as fans in Philadelphia here, they were hoping, of course, the Vikings would lose to kind of open up a little more gap between the Vikings and the Eagles in that race for the number one seed in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, that was, I think, the, the most entertaining game of the three on Thanksgiving. And, and I kind of knew that it would be going in. And I thought the Lions would end up winning that game, but they just they didn't have enough uh, uh, offense to, to overcome that Vikings defense. Rick, what are your thoughts, buddy? Yeah, unfortunately for me, that game, that just locks up the division for the Vikings. I mean, they're three-game lead now with that. Well, we got about five to play here, something like that. So, uh, mathematically, the Lions and can, can still make up that ground, but it's probably uh, not likely. It's likely the Vikings locked up the division. Uh, the schedule is favorable, though, for the Lions to uh, still compete and make it into a wild card is what I'm hoping for. And, Ed, uh, my question about the uh, ratings for a Thanksgiving evening, do you think the stores opening up on Thanksgiving, you know, the evening instead of Black Friday has plays into it? Because uh, for me, I was at Best Buy Thursday night and not watching <laughs> football. So, uh, honestly, do you think that plays into it also? Well, uh, you know, it could. I mean, you know, there could be a lot of factors. I don't think there's any one thing you can point to, and, and maybe that's part of it. Uh, you know, I, I'm staying as far away as I can from any sort of shopping mall or store uh, on Thanksgiving uh-huh. or even the day after. So, you know, I, I don't know if that would impact, uh, you know, someone like myself. But I can understand. You saw your game. You saw your Lions team, and, and you went out shopping. I, you know, I get it. But, uh, you know, that could have an impact. Uh, sure, I would I would put that in the mix too, yeah. I can understand that, you guys being in Indianapolis and Philadelphia and it being Black Friday and not getting out. I mean, we're down here in Nevisville, Indiana, though, so it wasn't that bad. We were in and out of Blockbuster in an hour. It was great. <laughs> well, you, we, we, all, we all know Blockbuster? Blockbuster? Is that where you went? Seriously? Oh, Best Buy. I, I don't know why I said Blockbuster. Best Buy. <laughs> Because so you you were you, you were stacking up on the Star Wars video games, weren't you? No, sir. You know, but we did set out for three uh, things and got all three. And uh, I won't say what they are in case of my eavesdropping here. But uh, we got everything we wanted. <laughs> we was in and out of Best Buy in an hour, or so it, it was it was it was good. It was a good deal. But you guys being in Indianapolis or Philadelphia, I can't imagine what uh, Thursday evening and Black Friday is like. I yeah, did not it, it, do anything Black Friday. Go ahead, Ed. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, yeah, you got to sharpen your elbows around here when you go out on those days. And, you know, really box <laughs> yeah. out from positioning. <laughs> it's like an NBA game, really, where you got to box out and, you know, fl- throw those elbows around. But uh, it gets a little crowded I, around here in some of these malls. It, and it amazes me that some of these people actually believe, uh, walking into the store, that a certain piece of merchandise is already theirs before they've even bought it. It, it, it just—it's crazy madness. And they had some stories on the news about it. It happens every year. People get worked up. People get in a fight. It's just like, really, people? Seriously? So I stay home. 
I stayed home and binge watched and got caught up on Designated Survivor and some of my other shows that I neglect through the years. So I was a, a proud Hulu and Netflix uh, uh, subscriber yesterday. And uh, I'm all caught up on uh, Stranger Things. Have you seen Stranger Things, guys? Stranger Things? Yeah, no? love it. It's probably, yeah, it's probably That's my favorite show. show. Love it. Yeah. It's a great show. I've been binge-watching it for the last week and a half. We ripped through season one, and we have three more episodes to go in season two. We'll probably uh, uh, polish that off tonight, hopefully. Uh, there you go. There you go. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Let's, let's, let's get back in. I know you're uh, going to be with us just for a limited amount of time, and I can honestly uh, tell that you're not uh, feeling well, Ed. So we'll try to uh, work through these games as quick as possible for you. That'd be really exciting with the Browns and the Bengals uh, tomorrow, uh, the Panthers and the Jets. Uh, just for purposes of conversation, we've got uh, the Titans and the Colts. Uh, I don't certainly don't expect any – Big surprises there. I mean, uh, we we know where the Colts are, what they are. If they end up getting a divisional win, that's just uh, a gravy on the biscuit, as they say. Uh, but as far as uh, and then you've got the Buccaneers and the Falcons, the Dolphins and and the Patriots. But I, I just I think your game tomorrow, the Bears and the Eagles, is probably the best one o'clock game out there tomorrow. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, you know, and I like that Colts game. I mean. I read a stat this week that the Colts quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, uh, has more passing yards uh, per game as a starter than Marcus Mariota, who is going to be on the other side of the field, uh, you know, tomorrow in Indianapolis. And then he also has more than Eli Manning and Cam Newton and Dak Prescott. Uh, You know, he's got more yards passing. So it's really an interesting situation the Colts find themselves in with uh, Jacoby Brissett going forward. Um, But, yeah, the, the Eagles and the Bears, I mean, the Bears, not many people are giving the Bears much of a chance. And, of course, the people in Vegas aren't. I think the line opened at 13.5 points, and I think it's climbed up to over 14 now. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the Bears are going to try to run it. You know, they have the rookie quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, uh, coming in. I think he's making his seventh start. Uh, he's been sacked 17 times so far uh, in, in the first six starts. And, you know, for Philadelphia, they've got one of the best front four fours in football. So they're probably salivating to try to get to Trubisky, but they're going to try to run the ball with Jordan Howard. The Cowboys had a little bit of success on the ground against the Eagles on that Sunday night game last week. Alfred Morris ran for 91 yards. The Cowboys put up 112 on them, but the Eagles still are the best rushing defense in the league. Um, But they're going to face a really good test in Jordan Howard. He's going to carry it probably 20 to 25 times a game. uh, and, And they're just going to try and keep pounding him in there and see if the Eagles defense can stop him. I think the Eagles gave up some of those yards to Morris last week because they were a little concerned about Dak Prescott uh, with his naked boots and getting outside and, and doing some read option stuff. So they were really, I think their first uh, responsibility was to stop him. And that's why Morris got his yards. Trubisky's agile, but I don't think he has that same running threat that Prescott delivers. Um, you know, I think Trubisky's going to be a pretty good quarterback and this is a great season for him to kind of learn uh, and to visit some of these enemy arenas in the league to get him used to what it's like to play on the road in this league. And, and then you hope next year he makes that big jump, kind of like Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz was able to do. You know, his first year was a, sort of a learning year. He's been to Seattle. They go back to Seattle after they play the Bears. But he knows what it's like now because he's been there. Uh, so it won't be as eye-opening to him. And that's the thing you have to hope for with Trubisky. Uh, the Eagles – 
you know, they're sitting here at nine and one. They're in play for the best record uh, in football and the number one seed. And I, I think if they get that number one seed, they would be an awful, awfully tough out to, to you know, for a team to come in here to to beat them at Lincoln Financial Field in the middle of January with the running game that the Eagles have and Garrett Blunt and Jay Ajayi and Corey Clement. Uh, so that's what they're really playing for. So they can't really uh, afford to look beyond the Bears. They go away now after this game for the next three weeks. They, they play back-to-back. They go to Seattle, then L.A. to play the Rams, and then they go to New York for a divisional game against the Giants. So this is their last home game until Christmas night against the Raiders. So I think they probably want to go out on a positive note. I think they're going to be fired up because they're still in the mix to get that best record, uh, earn, the, earn the first round bye, and, and keep themselves on track for what everyone seems to think is going to be a Super Bowl run. Uh, the Bears, though, again, they're going to run the ball, and if the Eagles can stop it, then they're going to win this game, and they're going to win it by a, a wide margin. Rick, uh, any thoughts uh, for Ed on uh, the uh, 1 o'clock early game? I, I feel like the uh, the Bears are really more like an eight and eight team that are just getting unlucky this year. Uh, I, I see what John Fox is trying to do. I mean, they are a tough team. No, I, I didn't want to play him you know, as a Lions fan last week because I just felt like the Bears were going to win. Uh, but I, I see what what they're doing running the ball. They play great defense. If Trubisky can get caught up at quarterback, I, I really do feel like that they're about a 500 team this year that's just truly getting unlucky but I don't know what the chatter is about getting rid of John Fox at the end of the year Ed do you know anything about that well you know Fox hasn't really had the quarterback now he does have the quarterback and you know Fox is a defensive guy and they have that defense playing well but uh you know the trend and it's been this trend for a while I don't I think you really have to go with an offensive guy and you have to develop these young quarterbacks that are coming into the league. And I don't know who he has to, you know, put around Trubisky, but, you know, we've all seen what a difference Sean McVay's made for Jared Goff in Los Angeles. And, you know, we've seen, you know, Carson Wentz make this step because he's the second year now. And really what is quarterback university in Philly with Reich, Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator and head coach, Doug Peterson and John D. Filippo, the quarterbacks coach, these guys all, uh, are very familiar with the quarterback spot. So, you know, I, as far as Fox keeping his job, I mean, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing with that defense. Now it's up to the offense to catch up. And, you know, the Bears are really shorthanded. Their receiving core, they've not gotten anything out of uh, Kevin White, who was their number one draft pick a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, I, if I was the Bears, I would go out and try to find uh, an offensive coordinator that maybe has played quarterback. and You know, find a quarterback's coach who has played quarterback and and, and – put him around Trubisky and, and see what you can get out of him. To me, I think Trubisky is going to be a pretty good quarterback. And now they have to develop him and make him get that, that, to that next step next year. And like I said, this is a great experience for him at this point. And I think to get rid of John Fox right now, it might set him back if they don't bring in an offensive mind. So if they get rid of him, they'd almost have to go out and find somebody on the offensive side of the ball that's going to help Trubisky. But you don't want your defense to take a step back either. So if I'm the Bears, I'm probably keeping Fox, and I'm going to try to find, you know, an OC or a QB coach or both to put around Trubisky and make him take that next step next year. 
Well, Ed, I, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you, you have your, your issues with your voice. But, you know, I, I look at this uh, P- uh, Pittsburgh Packers game tomorrow night at 830 and also Monday, the Texans and the Ravens, two have huge implications. And Pittsburgh, to me, uh, seems like they've got a stronghold on the AFC. And it's probably going to come down to uh, – I, I still am going to dance with with my prom date, if you will. I picked Kansas City to go to the Super Bowl a long time ago. I'm going to stick with them. But uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers seem to be the real deal. And uh, Green Bay Packers without Aaron Rodgers is uh, – not a good matchup for uh, the Packers at home against the Steelers. No, I don't see the Packers in any shape or form going into Pittsburgh, <clears throat> finding a way to win that game with Fred, Fred Huntley as the quarterback. I, I just don't. That whole offense is really uh, floundered. Uh, I believe they were shut out last week. Uh, so, you know, to go into Pittsburgh against that defense, you forget about it. See, and here we talk about ratings being down. I mean, yeah, I know the Pittsburgh Steelers have a, nation, a nationwide following, but, you know, after they're up, you know, 24 to nothing in the first half, I mean, who's going to watch the second half of that game? I mean, it's just not a very good matchup. It's probably a game that should have been flexed out. Maybe, you know, I don't know what the rules on flexing are, but, the, you know, the Rams and the Saints are, are the best game of the weekend, really, uh, and that's a 430 game. But this game really has no business being uh, the Sunday night primetime matchup. I guess when they scheduled it, Aaron Rodgers was the quarterback, and it looks like a terrific matchup, and it would have been a terrific matchup, but it just doesn't have that same uh, appeal with Brent Huntley playing quarterback. Uh, Rick, we'll give the final uh, question to Ed, uh, to you, and then uh, you and I will continue our conversations uh, about college football, and Mo will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. But uh, uh, we don't want uh, uh, Rick, to, I mean Ed, to totally go laryngitis on us. <laughs> Well, it's, it's not really a question. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, a couple of weeks ago we were joking at the Steelers playing against the Colts, and the Steelers probably win by 100 points. And, you know, maybe the Steelers didn't show up or something. The Colts had a chance. And I said, well, watch out because crazy things do happen. And then that game ended up being a one-possession game. You know, the fourth quarter, I think the Steelers won probably, what, not even by a full touchdown, right? Uh, well, this game against the uh, Packers isn't going to be be anything like that. They, I'm with that. They're going to roll probably a three touchdown win. Uh, Ed, uh, we, uh, I, I had a question on the tip of my tongue and I totally forgot it. I'm getting old. But uh, any final thoughts <laughs> and words of wisdom uh, for the, for the NFL this week before we let you go, sir? Uh, no, no real words of wisdom. I, you know, I think it would be wise to get rid of the Thursday night game. But you know, listen, that's, uh, you know, maybe that'll happen in the next collective bargaining agreement, which isn't scheduled to be until I think this one runs out in 2021. So, you know, I think it is what it is, and we're stuck with it. And you know, these networks that pour a lot of money into the NFL and showing their games are just going to have to fight the bullet and hope the ratings don't decline any further, because then they're going to start losing money, and then the NFL will start losing money. And then we'll see what happens from there. But, you know, I really have no words of wisdom. Just, you know, looking forward to another great Sunday of football. And, uh, you know, of course, here in Philly, I'll be with the Eagles, uh, you know, against the Bears tomorrow. And I'm looking forward to that game. I'm looking forward to seeing Howard. I like, you know, the IU product coming into Philadelphia. And we'll see what he can put up. Yep. Tough kid. He's tough. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He's a good good. Uh, absolutely. Good he is. All right, Edward, can people find your work in your masterpieces, sir? You can follow, follow me uh, on Twitter at Kratz E. It's K-R-A-C-Z-E. Uh, or then you can look online, uh, theeagleswire.usatoday.com. And, 
Uh, you can find all my work there. But I do tweet out uh, links to those stories, and it's uh, at K-R-A-C-Z-E. All right, buddy. We appreciate it. You get yourself feeling better. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Yep. See you, Ed. You too. Feel better. Ed, Ed Kratz, our official contributor for uh, the NFL, obviously beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles for USA uh, Today. Uh, Ed, we'll continue our conversation. Mo will be joining us here momentarily, and we'll get into some more of this college uh, football talk. you got to be happy with your Notre Dame Fighting Irish uh, getting a win against Navy, certainly a much better team than what we saw the week before against Miami. However, uh, that said, watching what Miami, that Miami and Pitt game yesterday just shows me what an even more uh, – of a uh, problem that Notre Dame had with Miami. It showed me also that there there's a lot of holes in the, in the uh, still within the Notre Dame program that have been swept underneath the rug because you've gotten wins. So uh, certainly uh, you've got Stanford today. You should pick up another win tonight against uh, the, the Cardinals. But at the same time, uh, there, there's got to be some work done on the Irish side of the ball. Thoughts? Yeah. I, you make it sound so easy that uh, Notre Dame is going to beat Stanford, but that's a toss-up game. It's a 50-50 game. Notre Dame is – uh, I, I believe they're a three-point favorite tonight. Uh, but the thing with college football, it's so tough going on the road and getting a road win. Yes, that's Notre Dame didn't show up in Miami a couple weeks ago. That's what happened in Miami yesterday. They won on the road against Virginia. So, uh, not Virginia, I'm sorry, Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it, it's so tough to get a road win. I mean, that, that is the problem with college football. That's the difference between college football and the NFL. You got the pros. You know, they they, they, they they can work all week on uh, preparing for role, role games like that in the, in the uh, NFL. But uh, in college, you only get 20 hours of, of practice time. And I think the game actually goes into that 20 hours. So it's, it's, it's a tougher gig. Uh, it, it's definitely not an easy one tonight by any means against Stanford, uh, especially with Stanford's running back, Bryce Love. He's probably the leading rusher in the nation. I mean, he's – Still a Heisman candidate, you know, he's up around 1,800 yards rushing. So, they have a great offensive line, great running back, and it's at Stanford. It's going to be tough. Brandon Wimbush has to prepare better for the Stanford Cardinals. How does he do that? Uh, well, he uh, lets his feet settle underneath him and uh, maybe brings the throws down about four feet so the receivers can actually get a hand on them. I mean, that's where I would start. Uh, all you know, we see his first quarter throws, man. They're they're all eight feet over receivers' heads at, every time. So he needs to settle down, get the running game going. They need to actually speed up that running game. I mean, those handoffs that they that they do, they take forever to develop. It seems like, and by the time the handoff is there, there's a, a, a defensive player in the backfield. Uh, They've had great success running the ball, but that's also been their Achilles heel, too, because it's so predictable. So he needs to bring his throws down. They need to speed up that offense a little bit. Well, certainly I think Notre Dame finds a way to get a a small win here. Why small win? I think it's going to be somewhere around the 28-24 range. And uh, I just – Notre Dame has got got to put it together. Chip Kelly coming into the – 
the, the season uh, was probably on the hot seat. Is he still on the hot seat, or is he always going to be on the hot seat? Do you guys get back to the national championship? Oh, uh, well, you talk about Brian Kelly. No, he he's not on the hot seat I'm no more. Sorry, I know. Brian, not, not, <laughs> I got Kelly on my brain because of, of Florida. He's not going to Florida anyway. Go ahead. My fault. Yeah, not going to Florida, <laughs> but uh, anyway, no, he's not on the hot seat. Uh, with the whole new coaching staff, I figured it'd take a couple years anyway to even get to this point that they're at this season. So I, I think it's it's been a great success turning the program around from last year to this year with the new coaching hires. Uh, so you know, it takes a couple years for an offensive system to come together like Chip, Chip Long ha- has done and Mike Elko's defensive scheme. It takes a couple years for that to uh, really take hold because, like I said, you know, the – you know, the, the players only get so much practice time. So, but the game tonight would be a huge win. I don't know. It'd be maybe kind of like a, a signature win for Brian Kelly after what they went through last year and they're playing for New Year's Six Bowl. So, at 28-24 is probably what the game is going to be. That, that could be one way or the other because uh, it's that tough of game tonight. Well, joining us now, uh, who uh, who broke away from his uh, benching of uh, uh, Stranger Things to jo- uh, join us today, Mo from the BS Sports Show. <laughs> How are you, Mo? Good, guys. How are you? Fantastic. Good, Mo. How you doing? Are you a Stranger Things? Are Are you a Stranger Things fan? I have never seen it. Ah, well, you gotta you gotta give it a shot. You gotta give it a shot. Well, we're talking about uh, college football. Uh, we were talking some NFL with Ed. Ed's got some throat issues, so he bailed a little bit early. So it's just the three of us for the remaining part of the show. We we're just talking about the Notre Dame-Stanford uh, game. And, you know, this is maybe not for a, a job security uh, purposes, uh, but Kelly Brian Kelly has to win this game. Uh, not necessarily because of job security, because like Rick just said, he's, he's not on the hot seat per se. Uh, but to recapture momentum for his program, and not to mention the fan base at the conclusion of what has been an enjoyable 2017 season. What are your thoughts, Stanford and Notre Dame tonight? Well, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, that it, it's a game that Notre Dame desperately needs because I think they've they've uh, fallen flat uh, in this game a few times in the last few years. Uh, you know, I, I I agree with Rick. I don't think Brian Kelly's on the hot seat, but one thing to me that could change that, and, and I've talked about it before, is if the uh, relationship between him and Brandon Winbush that deteriorates. We've seen it with every other quarterback. He's had bad talent there. So I think that's the one thing that could change that. Uh, otherwise, I think Rick's right. I think he's, he's bought himself a couple years with the new coaching staff, uh, minus a terribly disappointing year. Uh, so, yeah, but I, I just think you're right. I think Notre Dame needs it. I think the fan base needs it. Uh, you know, had that loss to Miami been a closer loss, uh, it, uh, it may have sat a little better. But uh, the fact they were just dismantled by Miami, I think uh, I, I saw a lot of Notre Dame fans just kind of turn most of their venom towards Brian Kelly, maybe fairly or unfairly, but Notre Dame couldn't do anything in that game. And, you know, and with Stanford, it's definitely a possibility that, uh, you know, Stanford can control Notre Dame like Miami did. So I think, uh, you know, Rick's right. they got to get that running game going in early. And it takes a long damn time for those running plays to develop. I agree with you, Rick. It's, uh, it, it's painful at times over these last couple of weeks watching that running game develop. I think the defense needs to come out and make a stand early, too, maybe get an early turnover. So I think Notre Dame wins this game. Tom, I, I agree with you. I think it's a close win, but I think they win the football game. 
Here, here's the thing about Notre Dame, and, and I know a lot of about Notre Dame is surrounded and enshrouded with tradition, which is why they're an independent team. But let's let's face it, being an independent team can also hurt you when you're trying to get to a national championship. Because if you start losing, they don't really have anything to win for. And at the on the other side of it, when you go against and you look at strength of schedules and different things, they have to have such stronger schedules uh, to play to get noticed, to get into the – to even be having a conversation about being in the playoffs. I think that them being an independent team, Rick, hurts their capabilities of getting to a national championship. I agree with you. And I've been saying this for a couple of years now because if they were in a conference, I think the road to the playoffs and a national championship would actually be easier because we see teams like Alabama, you know, they get to schedule teams like Mercer last week. I mean, come on, what is that? People want to get on Notre Dame for only playing 12 games, and they shouldn't have a, a shot being in the playoffs because of that. Well, these teams that schedule FCS opponents, too, should also be disqualified if you're going to disqualify Notre Dame for playing 12 games because that's ridiculous, playing FCS teams. You don't see the NFL midseason going up and playing the Toronto Argonauts or somebody like that. So why should, why should they be able to do it in college? No, I to- totally agree with you. Well, guys, we've got a big game uh, on play here in Indiana today. Uh, obviously, IU and Purdue do a battle up at West Lafayette, the old Oaken Bucket. They're both 5-6. and six. Winner goes to a bowl. Uh, loser goes home. Uh, certainly, Purdue has, has had a – you've seen a huge turnaround uh, with uh, Purdue University. Certainly, a lot of people, again, uh, let's start looking at their, their coach for other positions. Uh, you can say what you want about Tom Allen. Not been that impressed with him in the Big Ten, but overall, he has certainly been able to at least uh, get uh, the Indiana Hoosiers to an opportunity of possibly going to another bowl game, which for Indiana fans, that's a big. That's big to go to a bowl game two years in a row. Uh, IU, Purdue, you throw out all the records. Nothing else matters. It is a a trophy game, uh, certainly bragging rights, and it's the biggest game of the year on the calendar for both teams, no matter what their record is. Mo. Purdue and uh, Indiana, uh, Purdue at home for the old Oaken Bucket game. Thoughts? Well, you know, I, I hope for Indiana that they, they don't come out flat. Indiana's been up to a bowl game the last couple of years, and, uh, and, and this is big for Purdue, a chance to get back uh, into the bowl game picture. Uh, big for their coach. I think you're right. I think uh, their coach could be a one-and-done, but Tom Allen hasn't impressed me either. Indiana continues that, uh, that thing where they play – good teams and they can stay competitive for a, a half or, or three quarters and they fall apart. Uh, I really want to see Indiana come out and play a good game start to finish today. They've got the athletes, they've got the talent, and for IU, you know, they continue to build, uh, you know, these bowl games I think have helped them in their recruiting and it's time to see, uh, you know, Purdue to get back to that. I, you know, I'm an Indiana guy at heart, obviously, but I like to see both these teams be better teams. Uh, I, I feel like you know, for the Purdue players, they feel like it's a bigger game for them after being absent from bowls for a while. So I hope Indiana doesn't take them lightly. I think it's a game Indiana wins. I think it's a game that, uh, you know, they win by by 10 points. But, you know, don't count for Dover Rollermakers, man. They've, they've shown a lot of heart this year, and they've been a fun team to watch. Rick, what are your thoughts? You know, I, I didn't know much about Tom Allen when the season began, but watching the Hoosiers, you know, over the course of the year, uh, I love Tom Allen's intensity, uh, what he's done from last year, keeping the, the team together to possibly making another bowl game here. Uh, that that just speaks a lot about the type of coach he is 
and what he's doing for the program. And like I said, I love his intensity. And uh, I'd be interested to see uh, for Jeff Brom and Purdue if some of these uh, outside distractions of Jeff Brom being a, a candidate for some of these job openings now becomes a distraction, you know, and IU can get a close win today. I don't think that's going to be the case, but uh, that is that that's the that's a real uh, issue for uh, Purdue in the coming weeks. Is uh, I know Jeff Brom's only been there for one year, but now he's uh, his name's being brought up to some of these other uh, coaching vacancies. Well, absolutely, and we know that one that's still open, uh, Chip Kelly, is not going to Florida. Uh, as I said before a couple weeks ago, uh, that that was the reason that UCLA fired their coach when they did. Uh, Mora, they fired Mora when they did because they wanted to uh, persuade Chip Kelly uh, to come to UCLA. Uh, certainly he knows the Pac-12. Uh, that's a good uh, organization for him. He knows the recruiting tra- trail there. That's a good fit for Chip. Kelly, don't you think, Mo? Uh, yeah, you know for sure. I think that, and I think he wants to uh, and, and show him, hey, look, man, I still got it. Maybe especially against uh, against Oregon. Yeah, that's the place where uh, he grew and, and became the, the guy. The thing is, though, for Chip Kelly, is is maybe that uh, you know teams are, are and programs are more ready for his style of offense now, and maybe uh, a, a job at Florida would have been a better fit for him, but. You know, competing against all those other schools and recruiting down there, maybe that's just what he didn't, he didn't want to do that. But is UCLA going to spend the money that these other practical programs spend on assistant coaches and things of that nature? Because UCLA hasn't ever really been a school that did that for football. So if I'm Chip Kelly, when I come in there, I'm, I'm going to have that laid out that, yes, we're going to spend money to get some of the top coaches. We're going to improve the facilities for football. So UCLA, in my mind, this is, this is a make or break time for them. Are they willing to take that next step and become – a prominent football power in the Pac-12, and if they're not, Chip Kelly could definitely struggle there or not take the job. Rick, I know this is the time of year when we root for chaos, and I know that uh, you're a big fan of chaos uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, college football Final Four. Certainly uh, the unbeaten teams are Alabama, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Miami. Uh, We know that Wisconsin will be playing Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship uh, game. What are the – who has the best chance out of those four uh, to win out uh, in in that, and how does that affect – uh, if Wisconsin wins out, that may or may not put them in the, the Final Four. Um, however, if Purdue, I mean, I'm sorry, if Ohio State beats Wisconsin, they're going to want a spot at the table in the Final Four. Yeah, it's just the way it is right now, and not looking ahead to uh, the games next week. But uh, right now, Wisconsin does have the best chance of being in the Final Four with the undefeated record. Uh, it doesn't matter, uh, obviously, to the committee uh because they haven't played anybody, really. So, But they are the ones sitting pretty. And it's not really Alabama. Uh, my thing with Alabama, if they lose today against Auburn, they're also not going to play for the SEC championship game next week. And there's no way that you could put a team in the top four that does not play for their uh, conference championship game uh, unless chaos happens next week. So that's why I did not want to talk about the next week's games and scenarios yet. <laughs> uh, I just want to stick to this week. Well- because, you know, every week, it's, we're on our third straight week now uh, that we're going to have a new top four because Miami got beat yesterday. So, but, yeah, if, if Alabama loses in the Iron Bowl against Auburn today, Alabama's not going to play for the SEC title game. It's going to be Auburn and Georgia. You know, 
and I, I reiterate this point because uh, Mo wasn't on with this earlier. Uh, uh, Mo, he, here's the thing: I saw my that that game with Miami and Pitt yesterday, an absolute uh, disaster of a game for Miami, but a great game for Pitt, I guess. But it showed me a lot of things uh, a couple weeks ago about the Notre Dame uh, scenario that really it makes that that loss to. Uh, Miami even more uglier, and it shows to me that there's a lot of things that are being swept underneath the rug uh, with Notre Dame that were being covered up by wins. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, for sure, because, guys, at the end of the day, remember, it's not about anything else other than money. And it's a TV show, and it's a money, it's all about money. So at the end of the day, you know, maybe Wisconsin would be a more deserving team, but if you've got uh, you know, ones that make a better TV show and can make more money, it's very possible Wisconsin doesn't roll in there. And, you know, I, I think that, that you're right. Things of uh, deficiencies in the Notre Dame uh, program were covered up by wins, but they were also covered up by the fact that Notre Dame makes for good TV. And so I, I didn't think that Notre Dame really you know, deserved that ranking in the top four earlier, but they make for good TV and they have a great fan base, so they do. It's, uh, it, it's never going to be perfect. You know, it's never going to be perfect because – there's going to be teams that, uh, that lose out. You know, you ask big 12 teams in the last couple of years. There's some of those that probably should have been playing for a national championship that weren't because they didn't make for great TV. So, you're right. If you're a good program that has a good fan base, you can cover a lot of stuff up with wins, uh, you know, especially if you can draw. So, yeah, the, the Miami Laws yesterday really showed, uh, I think, how terrible uh, some of the things that Notre Dame was doing was. I mean, Notre Dame was manhandled in the Miami game in every aspect of that game. It was a terrible football game all around for Notre Dame. And, you know, they haven't played the great since then, so it'll be interesting to see what happens today. Well, certainly if we're to remain a, a uh, week ahead of schedule, if you will, either Alabama must lose to LSU, Georgia to South Carolina, Miami to Virginia Tech, Wisconsin to Indiana, or UCF, UCF to SMU, uh, to really create some chaos, would you say, Rick? What week are you reading? <laughs> what are you How talking about? What week are you? Yeah, what did you just I say? I don't know. <laughs> probably a blockbuster. I probably said something about blockbusters. <laughs> right. uh, I lost a lot of analysts. I <laughs> I uh, I closed I closed I closed out my I closed out my tab I don't know I it was uh hey Rick we're in an episode well, of we're in an episode of Stranger Things aren't we <laughs> yeah this is the upside hey, down least, let's see yeah uh, at least at least I did at least I didn't go into a blockbuster uh, yesterday. So, That's right. <laughs> I did. I confused that with Best Buy for some reason. It's the same colors, you know. Mo, Mo, Mo don't, don't you just love coming in on the tail end of this show? You're like, what just happened here? I have no idea. What is going on? Ah. No, I just, well, let's. I started drinking now before I come on, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, I can't it's, it's, it's all good. <laughs> All right. I remember the question we'll back now, here. so <laughs> I don't even remember the question either. So we'll we'll start yeah. with something new. <laughs> We've got our top four: Alabama, Miami, Clemson, and Oklahoma. Certainly, one would think that uh, Alabama 
Aren't we just tired of seeing Alabama in the top four? Aren't we just tired? Don't we just, for no other reason, want to see somebody else, Rick? Well, if Auburn could put together a, a game like they did against Georgia last week or a couple weeks ago, then uh, we're not going to have to worry about Alabama anymore. Uh, it will be after the championship week next week, you know, when Alabama might get put back in because it will be a one-loss team, although they're not, they won't be a, a conference champion. But if you put them head-to-head against some of these two-loss teams, that's how they get back in. Uh, but they'll be out after uh, this week if they lose tonight because they're not going to be able to play for the SEC championship game, and I just don't see the committee leaving them in the top four. You know, when you got Wisconsin and then Clemson, Oklahoma, some of these other one-loss teams that could be a conference champion, and Alabama being a one-loss team by that point and not being a conference champion. Uh, to me, I think Clemson is the best all-around team in the country, and I think Clemson-Oklahoma championship game would be a uh, that'd be outstanding. Rick, I, I mean, Mo, what are your thoughts on uh, Alabama being in the uh, Final Four? Get it, get them out of there. Well, you know, I, I'm tired of seeing them too, but the, the fact of the matter is they draw eyes and viewers and. And that's what the committee wants for and anything else. They don't, I don't think they really give a damn who wins the uh, championship. They want to uh, bring in television ratings. So as long as Alabama is good and uh, can, you can make a case for them, I think there's a good chance they'll be in. If I'm the Big Ten, though, and Wisconsin gets left out of this thing, I think if I'm the Big Ten commissioner and the president of the schools, I'd figure out how to realign the Big Ten because Wisconsin's schedule in that, in that side uh, is so weak throughout the year. I think that's one of the things that's hurting them tremendously. So if, if I'm the Big Ten Commissioner and the President of the school, if Wisconsin gets left out and they went out, I think there's a you definitely look at realigning the uh, division somehow, some way, because otherwise that's, if Wisconsin continues to uh, be good and dominate like that, they could get left out again. So that might be one thing i look at. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, start the college football coaching conversation. Uh, insert John Gruden here. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I can't, re- I can't resist. I've got to keep going with John Gruden. Uh, but Arkansas fired their coach yesterday. Rick, uh, who, what's the best jobs to have, and what's the best coaches to have those jobs? Man, that's tough to say because uh, best job means you're probably going to an elite program to rebuild it, and I don't know if a lot of coaches want to rebuild a program. A lot of coaches want already a, an established quarterback or just something there, some pieces to have. But Florida and Tennessee would be the top two jobs to have. Uh, so I, Scott Frost is definitely probably the – I don't know if he's the lead candidate for Florida, but he he's definitely top three. And Dan Mullen at Tennessee is probably their top target. I, I know we always hear the groomers for for John Gruden. I just I don't think that's going to be the case just yet. So uh, that'll be my top two coaches for uh, Florida and Tennessee for my, my top two teams. Uh, Mo, what are your thoughts? I mean, here, here's the thing: we know that that uh, Chip Kelly is not going to Florida now, and it is as we talked about earlier. Uh, it looks like that UCLA is uh, trying to open up the the and roll out the red carpet for him. Um, certainly, we don't know that to be official yet, but. Oh, it is official. Okay. All right. Well, we know it's official now. So UCLA uh, position filled uh, uh, by by Chip Kelly. So we look over at Florida, and, uh, you know, certainly uh, we we got to look at um, uh, Scott Frost, as as, uh, as Rick said, uh, Dan Mullen as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Florida job? 
Yeah, I, I think the uh, the cap for the UCF is, is definitely the way to go with that one. Uh, you know, I like his offense. I like uh, I like watching these teams play. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, Tennessee job. I mean, it, it seems like it's, it's Dan Mullins if he wants it. it just, that job is is a great job and a terrible job all in one. It's uh, it, you know, it's easy to recruit that, but you've also got to play a lot of those SEC teams. You know, this is a job. This one, just like Arkansas. Uh, seems at this point to be a job to come into where you can take that next step as a coach as far as money-wise. But let's be honest, who sees Tennessee uh, and or uh, Arkansas competing anytime soon? I don't. I mean, Tennessee, it feels a lot like IU a lot of times where they can hang with the, the big teams for a half or three quarters and things just fall apart. So it's uh, it's, it's more of, a, I think, a, probably a money thing for a coach at this point uh, to head to one of those teams. I don't see how either one of those two compete in the next five years. And a coach at one of those programs probably isn't going to get that long. So, again, it's probably the next step up money-wise if you're a, uh, if you're a head coach looking to take Arkansas or Tennessee. Well, Arkansas has some interesting names uh, that people are floating around about it. Uh, insert John Gruden here. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Les Miles and Mike Leach. Uh, Les Miles I, would be a good fit for Arkansas, don't you think? It could be good I there, think but, you know, it don't. Don't worry about Jeff Brom either. Yeah. I, Go ahead, Mo. I agree with Mo. I, I, I'm sorry. I was going to agree with Mo. I, I, Jeff Brom sounds uh, – that would be a really good fit for uh, for Arkansas. You know, we've seen the Les Miles thing in the SEC and uh, how, how boring the offense and everything could be, even though he's a 8-9-10 win a season coach. But I think Jeff Brom for Arkansas would be a great hire. Oh, Miss guys, uh, they, uh, Hugh, uh, Hugh Freeze resigned uh, following a pattern of personal misconduct. I'm not really sure what all went on there, but neither here nor there. Uh, he used phones <laughs> to call escorts and do things he shouldn't have oh, done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, he's going to be buying a disposable phone to do such work on. Anyway, uh, so uh, so a lot of people think that Air Force's coach, Troy Calhoun, uh, or uh, Colorado's coach Mike McIntyre for Old Miss. What are your thoughts, Mo? Well, I know that I can't be the Old Miss coach right now if they look at my phone records. Um, yeah, you know, either one of those. Coaches, <laughs> 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 you no, know, a fun fit there. They uh, again, you know, you're going into a job that it's not uh, not an easy job. It's not an easy division. So I, I think you're going to need a, a young up and coming coach like either one of those two. Uh, it's a it's a place where you've got to be embraced uh, by that fan base and that school because you know it's, it's not going to be an easy road to hoe. So I think either one of those two coaches would be a good fit at Ole Miss. So let's uh, go, come back to the Big Ten. Obviously, there's a, uh, a big coaching uh, position open there uh, with the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Uh, obviously, we've already talked about their quarterback, Scott Frost. It probably won't be with the organization, so it won't be him. Uh, so uh, we, we look at, uh, uh, like, Mike Leach might be a, a good good spot there. Uh, thoughts on the coaching vacancy up in Nebraska? Well, that, that's the thing, Tom. Uh, we talk about Scott Frost at Florida, uh, but Nebraska's Scott Frost's alma mater, and that, that's the only that's the competition Florida has for him because you know uh, Nebraska's probably going to send the house and make him uh, king of, of, of the state of Nebraska or just something to get him back to his alma mater to be their head coach because of things of what he's done at Central Florida. Uh, so it, it, it's really between 
Florida and Nebraska for Scott Frost at this point. So, I don't. Do you go back to your alma mater, or do you stay in Florida where you could probably get better recru- recruits? So it, that's just something Scott Frost is going to be dealing with the next few weeks. Mo, uh, Texas A&M Aggies uh, have been reported that they're poking the bear with Jimbo Fisher. Uh, can they lure him over there? I mean, you know, you've had a couple down years at Florida State, but, man, how, how, it wasn't very long ago that he was a national champion. Uh, you know, and these coaches love to flirt because they love to get, uh, they love to get extensions at their current places. But, you know, at, at some point, uh, you know, you're going to uh, get to a point where I think your current school says, hey, cool, peace out, dude. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's possible, but I think Florida State's a better job right now. I don't know why you leave that unless you're being told that they don't want you anymore. I, I don't think that he, he moves on unless it's uh, uh, an amazing offer, and I don't think Texas a and is the one for him. Well, we start off rivalry weekend. Uh, Rick, uh, what are your thoughts uh, as we go into some big rivalry games this weekend? Obviously, we've already talked about IU and Purdue uh, being the biggest one in our area anyway. Uh, But uh, what are your thoughts on rivalry weekend in college football? Mo mentioned earlier that the Big Ten needs to look into realigning their their divisions, and I agree with that because – Usually this Ohio State-Michigan game is a huge game every year. It might be, you know, it's a bowl game basically uh, when these two teams meet up. And if they were on different sides, of, uh, th- different divisions in the Big Ten and with just a couple losses both teams have, I don't know Michigan has three losses now, just, I think this game would have an even bigger impact on the conference and on the landscape of things how are shaping out for the, uh, you know, for the playoff system and everything if they were on different sides. Keeping them on the same side of the division, I think, takes away from uh, from this game. And this this is one of the games I, I do watch. You know, cause I can't stand Michigan. I hate Michigan. I'm sorry if you guys are Michigan fans. <laughs> so they're like an they're like Alabama to me. But I do like uh, I do love watching this game. Uh, you can just see the hatred and uh, feel the passion these these players have it in in, in a game like this. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. And the other big game today is. Watch out for the Iron Bowl today, because I think Auburn can pull it off. Well, what are your thoughts on the Iron Bowl? We didn't get a chance to talk about that, but Alabama at number six, Auburn. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, Auburn can do it, too, if they put together a game like they get against Georgia, but I, it, it also always uh, leaves the, uh, that, that Alabama could uh, come out quick and, and get up big. You know, I, I hope it's a competitive game. I think Auburn winning would be fun to see the chaos that, that, that ensues. Uh, you know, it should be uh, hopefully a very fun game to watch tonight. Can Washington State beat Washington today? Yes, definitely. Uh, <laughs> yes. Who, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> apples, apples. <laughs> this apple apples. Ball. Yeah, yeah, apples. Apples. <laughs> They could definitely beat that, uh, pull that, beat Washington. So, I mean, they they look great this year. So, yeah, definitely can beat Washington. Michigan State at Rutgers. Didn't know that was a rivalry. <laughs> Game's on the schedule now, Rick. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't so know. I, I want to wear Rutgers to a football okay. program. <laughs> Yeah, Michigan's going to – Michigan State's going to manhandle Rutgers. <laughs> they, they beat they, they beat, uh, they beat IU. 
one one final game I certainly want to get our thoughts on. Uh, we'll probably not do a balance extra today because uh, we don't have Ed, and I, I think we're all kind of battling throat issues and holiday stuff. Uh, but Virginia Tech at Virginia, Mo, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, it's, it's a game that's uh, always a fun game to watch. I don't know at the end of the day what it really means anymore, but it, it's definitely a fun game to watch. And it, it's uh, it's one that I'll check out, the, you know, bits and pieces of. Uh, you know, one thing to watch though today for me in rivalry week is, you know, what happens, the result of this uh, Michigan-Ohio State game could very well determine whether we see uh, Jim Harbaugh there or back in the NFL with either the Bears or the Colts next year. So the outcome of this game uh, could – determine what uh, the future of a couple of teams. So we'll see what happens with that one. Rick? Uh, Virginia Tech's defense is going to dominate this game. This is a, for a Bronco man in the Hall's first year head coach of Virginia. He's going to have the program turned around. They're just not there yet. So it's Virginia Tech's defense is what's, what's going to win this game. All right, guys, we'll go around the horn. You can certainly give me your final thoughts, words of wisdom, or rants if you'd like, and then we'll have to wrap it up and put a bowl on it. We'll start with you, Mo. Go right ahead, sir. Well, I know uh, Rick mentioned earlier that uh, he was upset with the uh, level of competition that Alabama played next week or last week, but don't forget the NFL has that same thing because uh, a lot of teams play the Cleveland Browns throughout the year. So that's, that's their, right. Uh, that's their, <laughs> that's their McComb. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how the Browns would 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 hold up against the Toronto Argonauts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Toronto. We always think like Toronto, the best Argonauts. college football team could could beat the Cleveland Browns. I wonder if that could be the case, or how the Browns would, would play against the best Canadian football uh, team, you know, league team or whatever, and see how that game would go. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. I'd probably watch one quarter Rick. of that. But <laughs> Rick, Rick, how would the Browns play against Evansville Wrights? <laughs> this year, uh, they would probably kill them because uh, they weren't really all that great, and uh, Mama Mater, you know, beat them in the sectional this year. So that's pretty good. They wouldn't do a. They do pretty good against right. the rights. <laughs> all right, Rick. Uh, what's your final thoughts? Uh, words of wisdom, if you will. Well, I think Auburn does. Get it done today against Alabama only because I'm a fan of chaos and I, I just love, you know, the, everybody freak out when Alabama isn't in the isn't in the uh, the top four rankings for a week or two here. So uh, that that's going to be great. Everybody's going to cry about one 18 playoff once Alabama drops out of the top four. So that's why I want I want 18 playoffs and uh, I think the Irish get the big win they need. I think that'd be kind of a signature win for Brian Kelly after the season they had last year to get 10 wins this season. So and, like I said, Auburn gets it done. Ohio State rolls over Michigan. You can find me on Twitter at Riggin underscore Rick. Uh, Mo, outside of starting your binge on Stranger Things, uh, what are you guys working on this week? Well, I, too, am a big fan of chaos, and she'll be on stage with the Red Garter starting at 2, so I'll be down there uh, watching her. Uh, no, we're, uh, we're uh, working on uh, some NFL stuff, obviously. We're taking a look at uh, – uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers closer this week uh, as uh, Derrick Rose decides whether he's going to do basketball or not. And, uh, of course, uh, getting ready for uh, for some uh, playoffs, man. We're, we're uh, 
doing that. And then we've been working on a lot of high school football state championships. Being in Ohio now, i got to cover Ohio State, but unfortunately, because let's be honest, they're the most obnoxious fans in the world right next to Alabama fans. So uh, it's always a fun time. <laughs> those, uh, those well, I, I don't know. Notre Dame fans are right up there, too. So, uh, you, you know. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Well-deserved, though. Well-deserved. All right, <laughs> All right, you guys, you, you have yourself a good weekend. My name is Tom Mark El Presidente. We'll do this thing called The Balance next Saturday morning right here on The Balance Radio Network. Make sure that you catch us on, on uh, iTunes or tune in. Uh, remember, don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. And if you've not started or watched Stranger Things, what in the hell is wrong with you? I'm out of here. Don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. Deuces. <laughs>no, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.